Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And we are so blessed to have our friend Brenda with us today. Brenda is a teacher at Yoga Landing with Kat, where she teaches prenatal yoga. She's a very soulful, wise woman, and we are just so lucky to get to talk with her today about equanimity. And of course, equanimity is that sweet spot. We talk in yoga a lot about this word, but what does it mean? So we're going to talk a little bit more about how do we find that balance, that mental composure. Um, You know, in, in yoga, we're striving for this balance between ease and effort, but balance in so many ways. We're going to talk about what equanimity looks like for each of the nine numbers today in particular We're going to look at what that means for types 9, types 1, 2, and 3. So thanks for joining us. We hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving. And we're just so grateful that you listen in uh, to our conversations about yoga and the Enneagram. And uh, again, you're going to really enjoy Brenda. So let's dive into our interview with her. This is part one. Brenda, welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga. Thank you, Christine. We're so glad to have you here. And I know you were introduced recently to the Enneagram. And just tell me about your Enneagram number, when you learned about the Enneagram, and how this personality system is helping you to grow and learn about yourself. Okay. Well, I think, you know, all things kind of You know how everything's always there, but you don't notice it until it's time for you to notice it. Mm -hmm. So there's this little undercurrent chitter-chatter about Enneagram, Enneagram. I was like, what is this thing? Why Mm -hmm. all of a sudden is everybody talking about Enneagram? Mm -hmm. And maybe they've been talking about it for a long time, but all of a sudden it was supposed to rise to the surface for me. So then um, you were in a 500-hour teacher training, and I was leading a short workshop. And... Mm -hmm. um, and people were trying to guess my Enneagram number. And I was like, what is this Enneagram thing you all are on about? Because now um, I'm really curious and peaked. And mm-hmm. you had just taught a workshop the previous mm. weekend, I think. Mm-hmm. So a lot of your students were in that 500-hour training. Yeah. So I was teaching prenatal. And um, I was like, well, now you've got me curious. Because, of course, I am a one. Yeah. Um, I'm learning that I'm a one. So um, it's taking me a while to embrace. I wasn't really happy about that. I was, you know, somewhat in denial. So I was like, mm-hmm. well, people were saying, well, I think she might be a four. Well, she might be this. And I was like, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. So I went home after that workshop and I went on Insight Timer and they had like a mini course. And I listened to uh, a fellow from South America who's an Enneagram person. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am a one. What if I really am a one? This is a terrible piece of information. <laughs> I'm not happy about this. And so um, I think I, it just kind of moved to the back burner. And then you had a workshop at the Crepery. And I thought, this sounds like a lot of fun and super positive And a great way to get an overview with two people that I absolutely love and admire. Aww doing this incredible work out there. And then it's yoga related also. So I thought, oh, it's a business expense and it's a nice, you know, morning out. And it was so much fun. And I'm a note taker. So of course I was busy writing. I think that's how I process. And um, 
I was writing notes and loving the mantras and the meditations and realizing that it's okay. I think too, you had told me to go take the truity test or something. Mm -hmm. So I did that, found out what I was, brought those results. And then I went back and did the Enneagram Institute and came back just like so excited with all this information. My husband took the test and we, you know, drank coffee and sat up late reading each other's Enneagrams and just like getting to know you stuff. And we're both really introspective like that. So I thought this, it's an, it's another tool for deep learning. And apparently I was supposed to, you know, arrive at this time in my life where mm -hmm. it would become a better way to to improve myself. I'm always looking for ways to work on myself. I guess that's the one. I don't know what number Sometimes that is. Sometimes they're called the improver. So that's, okay. that's interesting the way you said that. What's your husband? What? So he is a hardcore three. Oh, <clears throat> interesting. With a heavy oh. dose of seven, I'm pretty sure. And I don't know, like all the arrows and all of that. I know you recommended some books, but I am just deep in the world of learning, learning, learning right now. And I have so many things on the back burner that I want to know more about. And I am learning to embrace the mantra, you are enough, you do enough, you know enough, this practice is enough, mm -hmm. you know, the simple, because I've got a doula course I signed up to be a better helper for my mamas in prenatal. I've got a Spanish course that's being ignored on the back burner, but oh, I need to go learn, you know, live somewhere where they speak only Spanish so I can learn that. And mm -hmm. now there's... I just love these inventories and as a retired school teacher, you know, self-awareness and knowledge and, and I, you know, I've been on this planet and long enough that I look back at my 21 year old self and I'm pretty grateful for the journey. And this is, I just, this is just another little layer that I've been having yeah. fun with. And your podcast has been so much fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. You've got some great guests on there and it's just I learn, I'm auditory too, so I learn really well, like listening to the people, then I can kind of put the people in, mm -hmm. so I was busy analyzing and plugging people into spaces, which you're not, oh, supposed to do, is that that word, am well, I shooting? <laughs> well, you know, I think it's fine to, to wonder who somebody might be, I think we're just not supposed to tell them this is who you are, because... So much of the Enneagram is about internal motivations, and we don't always know what those are for people. But to imagine and wonder, I think, can be really helpful with helping us understand. And that's what the Enneagram is about, is understanding ourselves and one another. So to, to have that empathy and to have that understanding and to have that curiosity and wonder, I think it's a good thing. I think it's just we might not say it out loud. Right. <laughs> and so and, and I and I didn't hear that you did that. I just heard you were being curious. You know? Right. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing. Well, that's that's good. So what was the question then? Are we going back to how I met Enneagram? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you did a good job. Answering okay. that, it sounds like it's helping you to learn about yourself. And it's also interesting to me that you're married to three. I'm married to a three. And I think that one thing that the one and the three have in common is that they, well, they have many things in common, but they know how to get stuff done. <laughs> I clicked on the Enneagram Institute and it was like, this is like a really great professional relationship because they really are really efficient. And yeah. I had a good giggle because I was like, isn't that the truth? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. We do. We, we have a lot of fun. Good. Because I'm trying to bring out my seven more. Right, Kat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're married to a seven. I know. I know. And I'm so that. happy to hear. Um, the, Brenda and I were talking before we got started, and we are always talking about what, what time you need to be done. And Brenda said, I need to be done by this hour because I'm going bike riding with my husband. And I thought, oh, oh glorious. That is so good yeah. for you. That is playful. So good for you. It is good for play me. Play together. And yeah. for, just for you to play. Yes, and he's good for me for that. Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask you about yoga. So we talked a little bit about Enneagram. So you and I were in 300-hour teacher training together. And then I also remember um, when I first saw you um, did your website. And I loved the name of your website. And I think I messaged you like, this is beautiful. And we will have all that information on our website so our listeners can connect with you. But it is www.stonesrippleyoga.com. I just love that. Thank you, Kat. So on that website, I'm going to quote you. Yoga called to me as soon as I realized um, a need for balance in my life. I was a teacher, a single mother, and an overachiever. Simply put, I was busy. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that season in your life and how it has brought you to yoga and how it has helped you heal and if yoga is still helping you heal? Mm. Yes, yoga is still helping me heal. (laughs) Yoga is a journey. Recognizing the eight limbs. Of course, most of us come to it for the asana, the movement. So um, I was exhausted. Um, I was... uh, I, I... think I was on my way to applying to be a vice principal of a pretty big school. I was like overachiever, overachiever, always um, nothing's ever good enough. The scores are never high enough. I've got to make more money to provide for my kids. I'm like security has been a thing for me. I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't need to depend on anybody. I've never felt comfortable letting that guard down. It's like I can take care of myself. I'm gonna take care of my kids. I'm not gonna ask anybody for any help or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, my massage therapist uh, said, "Well, have you ever tried yoga?" I was like, "No, I'm 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 a skier. I jump off of snowy cliffs, and mm-hmm. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm gonna go for a hardcore bike ride. I'm gonna like work my body. No, I haven't thought about yoga. No." He's like, "Well." There is, have you heard of Ashtanga? Well, no, I haven't heard of Ashtanga. So um, he's like, well, that might be a type of yoga that you would enjoy. And so um, that just kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And every week on Wednesday, past my classroom door, my friends would go down to the music room. And a, 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 now my first yoga teacher friend, Penny, would come into the school and offer yoga to the teachers. And we would do little drop-in packages. And they were like, you ought to come no, I've got to finish this and that and that, and this bullet board isn't quite beautiful yet, and look at the children's art, and I've got a plan for tomorrow, and, you know, do, do, do. And um, one day, I just went to the music room and joined them for yoga, and boom, that was it. Like, Mm. something shifted. I was like, what is this thing, this, like, stillness in my mind, this tranquility, this sense of joy and peace? Like, I don't know what it is, but I've never had it, and I'd really like some more. Mm, love that. Yeah, and I remember, I do remember, though, being in the gym for one of the classes, and we were upside down in Downward Dog, 
I remember her Penny saying, this is our resting posture. And I was like, there's nothing restful about this. Like I cannot stay in an upside down V with my butt in the air for a minute longer. And of course I default to laughter because that's a comfortable place for me. Um, and I've heard your podcasts about that. And it's just me being uncomfortable with my own dis-ease and imperfections and struggles. And mm -hmm. this is harder than I thought, as Judith Lassiter would say. She stopped me in my tracks in my level one restorative training. She's like, no, 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 no. Not this is hard. This is harder than I thought it would be for me right now. Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa, words are everything. Mm -hmm. So over the time, yoga, yoga just became my tool and I recognized my need for that stillness of the mind because I'm hyper analytical and I'm, I love to think and um, by the time I decided to move down here, um, I met my husband online. Mm. It was a criteria. I visited the area and I was like, well, where is where are the yoga studios? Is there yoga in this, um, this state that is so very different from Vancouver Island where I've been living? Wow, what it's a like transition. Big transition. That'll link to your last question. Um, but I thought, if there's yoga, I'll find my people. And if I can find mm -hmm. my people, I can be okay anywhere. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, did that answer? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, did. And it helped me to be a better mother. I recognize that there's something there that I'm still learning um, that's bringing me peace and allowing me to be okay with who I am. So, yeah. Well, and stilling the mind is important for all of us, but particularly for the one, because they have that inner critic that's so hard on themselves, and it just keeps running and running, kind of like a hamster on a wheel, right? And so right. to slow it down, oh, that's really powerful, and that was just what you needed. It is. It yeah, still is. still what you need. Yeah, Still what I need. Yeah, but I'll have another work. Sip of this coffee in yeah. the <laughs> Keep that brain running right now for the podcast. That's right. So you teach a lot of different types of yoga. And I know you've been training with Judith Lassiter and working on restorative yoga. But you also teach prenatal yoga. Um, so tell us a little bit about prenatal yoga and why yoga is important for pregnant women. Yeah, so prenatal yoga is my favorite niche. I've mm -hmm. always identified as mama, like being a mother, um, whether it's to the children in my classroom or to my own children, and uh, just being connected to women mm -hmm. is a big part of who I am. Mm -hmm. So during COVID, I did a business mentoring program, which is why I ended up launching a website. I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, fear, security, the world's falling apart, and I have to be able to take care of myself, and I'll never be able to teach in a studio again. It's all going away. What the heck am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. So that launched that. We had to niche down, yeah. which is a really good practice for me, because it's like, oh my gosh, you're asking me to let go of some things in favor of specializing in one thing. Fear, fear, fear. Mm -hmm. But it's truly what I'm called to do is to help empower women. So um, the easiest answer is why is it pregnant for pre, pre why is it important for pregnant women? The breath is yeah. the most important answer. Obviously, the breath is the most important answer to yoga period. But when women and I had two mamas give birth in the last couple of days and mm. they were like, yeah, it went really well. I went from, you know, um, well, 
too much information, personal information, but they said it, it went really well because of my breath. They said my breath work really helped. So that's the first important reason, but it's deeper than that to me. So for me, it's finding ease in your changing body, your shifting, changing identity. Mm -hmm. It's like that whole transition from being single to being coupled if you're choosing to be, you know, with a partner when you're birth, when you're having your child and not everybody does. Some, um, some women have chosen to come and have a, mm -hmm. have a kiddo all on their own, but it, um, it's just your changing identity. Um, finding ease in preparation for labor and delivery, trusting that your body knows what it's doing, especially like women mm -hmm. who've had fertility issues, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. trusting and allowing their bodies to do it, to do the job that it knows how to do, mm -hmm. trusting the inner wisdom and um, yeah, the ancestral wisdom. Like I like to remind women that the the wisdom of every woman has come before you is right built within yourselves. All of yeah. your your mother, your grandmother, their parent, you know, their, the all of the women, like our bodies are built for this, and sometimes it doesn't work out the way we expect, or hope, or dream. Um, there are complications and situations, but when a baby is meant to come into this world, that baby, I truly believe, is on loan from God and the universe, and mm -hmm. they're here to teach us as much as we're here to guide. We don't own them. They're not our children. They are children of the, the universe. World. And we are blessed when we are given the opportunity and choose to, you know, embrace the role of parenthood. It's just such, it's such a, it's just such an important job creating the future of our world and creating yeah. good, beautiful humans that are kind and compassionate and caring. And it's like when I saw a counselor earlier on, she's like, well, stop watching the news. You can't change the whole world, but you can do a really good job with your own two children. You can influence the children in your classroom, like bring it back down to one person at a time. And so, um, yeah. And also, um, it's a place of community, non-judgment mm -hmm. for pregnant women, where all of their choices can be accepted because people are bombarded with information, especially these days. Mm -hmm. When I birthed 30 plus years ago, I, d I had a couple of books and maybe a few friends. Well, everybody has the internet now. And then it's like, well, now what do I do? This person says this and so trust yourself first. Yeah, yeah. And so I loved the opportunity to work with women to help them embrace that all throughout pregnancy so that they check inside and they check with their partner what do we need as a family yeah. because the rest of it is just noise yeah like, and it's going to look different from the person that's birthing next to you trust your birthing choices trust surrender to anything that arises during birth give yourself permission to change your mind mm -hmm. like I just think it's a beautiful place to practice all of that mm -hmm. because parenting is the hardest thing we'll ever do. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's a place to practice deep listening, um, being present with our inner landscape and just giving women a chance to have refuge from the outside noise, even if just for an hour. Yeah. yeah. I love that. You know, I've practiced in Chattanooga for over 10 years and I don't know anybody who's teaching prenatal, so huge kudos to you because you did put all of your eggs in one very small basket, but I think it is priceless because to your point, no one is teaching prenatal. Mm-hmm. 
and that in you know in huge respect to you because I've taught for a while and when people ask me uh, you know what I teach I just tell them I'll tell you what I don't teach prenatal or kids that's the hardest to, to teach period so kudos to you Thank my you. friend that's amazing I love kiddos. I did certify in children's yoga. Oh, that's the other hardest, <laughs> yeah, after, hardest teaching. And I was doing it online during COVID, and I thought, I'm exhausted. There's mm -hmm. a reason I'm retired from the classroom. Mm -hmm. This is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And doing it over the screen, I was like, there are people that are better prepared for this than I am. Let's just face it. But for you to work as a teacher and then transition into prenatal yoga teacher, that's incredible. Incredible. I think it was a good fit for me. Yeah. It yeah. fills my soul with joy. And that means it's right. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Well, let me ask you about this. So today we're going to talk about equanimity and what it looks like for all nine numbers. Um, and we use the word equanimity a lot in yoga, so that balance between push and pull and how to find the, the, the golden middle. So um, how would you define it? And what does it look like in your life when you find equanimity? Mm. That's funny because Judith's words just came to mind, of course, because I was just studying with her. Mm -hmm. But in level one, it was stiram sukhamasanam, and you know, in abiding in ease is is the the pose or the asana. I can't. I'm not a Sanskrit person, mm -hmm. but um, all my life I have prayed for, meditated on, desired, like please. Please, somebody just give me some harmony. Mm -hmm. And so peace and harmony, like harmony mostly in my own mind, but um, most of us, you know, engage with a little bit of chaos in our younger years, having learned to deal with that or not, uh, to stay reactive and engaged with that or not. But um, equanimity for me, and I did actually, I like how you said push-pull. It's mostly been in my own mind that I've been mm -hmm. at battle. Yeah. All these years, I look back at my my poor little 21-year-old self, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I get it. All of these people and counselors and friends and anybody who's come along our path to help us learn and teach us and help, you know, come mm -hmm. alongside us, all the lessons, it's like you, the whole thing of you learn it or you're going to keep getting it in a different format. You know, I look mm -hmm. back and it's all been to avoid this chaos it's like please I just want some peace I want some peace and quiet so mm. I don't like conflict and I grew up with a lot of chaos and conflict and then I'm just realizing that I've invited a lot of it in through my own inner turmoil mm. so um, uh, I think it's the very thing that I'm wishing for other people is the very thing that I'm actually desiring for myself. So when I'm teaching other people to trust themselves, I'm teaching other people to listen to themselves, I'm teaching other people to slow down, yeah. we teach other people what it is we want to hear. Wow. We teach them what we want to That's the most authentic learn. way. Yeah. That's the most authentic way. And I think that's what Judah says when she says, I am not, these are not my students, these are students of yoga, she says. Mm -hmm. And I, and we are all just students of yoga, and when I am leading a class, I am just practicing my yoga with other people who are also practicing their yoga. That's a beautiful way to put it. I love that. I do too. It's resonating with me. It's Judith Lassiter's wisdom. Yeah, and yours as well. I mean, because we are, 
um, a product of the people who have been our teachers, right? And so it becomes your own, your own wisdom to impart to the world as well. But I would also say that the needed virtue for the one is peace and serenity. So mm. that's so interesting that early on you recognize that you've had a need for that peace. So, yeah, yeah. wow, I, that's powerful. And I function well as an extrovert, but by nature, I'd prefer to be an introvert. I need mm -hmm. a lot of alone time. And when mm -hmm. I was little, my mom said, you know, I needed to put her back in public school, get back to living in some sort of connection to community, because I would just, like, go climb a tree, play my harmonica, go curl up with a book by myself. It's mm -hmm. like, she needs to be socialized a little bit. She's a little rough around the edges, maybe. <laughs> I love that. Well, um, speaking of maybe that need for solitude, one of our fun questions what is about a desert island. So um, if you were experiencing that peace and solitude on a desert island but could only take one thing with you, besides your husband, <laughs> what would it be? Okay, well then you nailed it because I was like, Oh, that sounds amazing. I wonder what, what's the water like? I hope it's tropical. I wonder if there are things to eat there. And of course I was thinking about what the island, well, they didn't say I could choose my island. And then you just answered my question. So I thought, well, bingo, I'd take my husband. He knows how to find things to eat. And we'd yeah. have so much fun and we'd survive. I was like, he's not a thing, but that's what I would take. Aww. So now you've caught me off guard. Off guard, guard haven't I? <laughs> my answer, I mean, my husband and I have been, we've done our work and continue yeah. to work hard for our relationship. We've both, you know, this is not our first marriage and we're both like so committed and joyful. It's like we finally found each other. We're going to work our butts off to keep this relationship strong and I did not want to grow old alone, and he's finally realized that it's not the little, um, uh, I just be careful with my language, but it's like he needed a more down-to-earth real woman, and he resisted that, and now it's like, oh, I actually do need the woman who's going to go for the hike and go biking, not the woman who wants to do her nails and go shopping mm -hmm. for, a, you know, a good time, mm -hmm. so um, that's... Um, that's he's realized that he needs something more than something beautiful someone beautiful on his arm he's yeah. like more depth. more depth that's it and someone who's more matched to yeah. him yeah so what would i take outside of that i suppose um you know a tarp is always useful yeah. you can build a shelter <laughs> i don't know so you think self-preservation <laughs> that's what i was thinking self-preservation <laughs> one when you're talking about the fear earlier that's the subtype for the enneagram there's self-preservation, there's sexual, and there's social, but you sound, you might want to look that up later, but you sound a little bit like a self-preservation one because you'd take the tarp, you'd make sure you were safe and secure yeah. on that. That's pretty <laughs> useful, a tarp. Yeah. You can get yeah, warm, you can stay out of the rain, right you can save things, protect them from, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is that you too, Kat? Yeah, I would, well, I probably An think I, I take... <laughs> hey, next probably I'll probably take a yoga mat, the non-slip one. <laughs> Practical. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea too. Oh, that's awesome. Oh man. All right. Well, um, so we are going to do uh, what we usually do is talk about each of the nine numbers, but we said 
last time that we had our podcast that we were going to start with the nines first because their needed healing message is your presence matters. And so if we do them last, we're not telling them that yep. their presence matters. Yep. But we're going to talk about equanimity and how each of the nine numbers can achieve that. And so Kat's going to start us off with yeah. a nine. Yeah, I, as always, I'm going to do the odds and Christy will do the evens. So starting with the nine, um, we think that equanimity is pretty hard for nines to experience, uh, especially if they're ignoring their anger and presence of any conflict. So when nines can move directly towards the underlying anger and conflict, to find what it's saying, to actually connect with it and figure out what is it about and communicate it when necessary. They're better able to be present to life and have um, better mental composure. So until nines connect with their anger and conflict, they will not be able to become fully present to themselves. And the traditional virtue of the nine, their higher emotional capacity, is the right action because they do tend to get somewhat slothish. So this is an open-hearted willingness to, do, um, to feel their anger, to move towards their vacation, to establish their value and have their voice heard. When nines are comfortable with anger and conflict, they often find more equanimity in life. So Brenda, my question to you is this, how has moving towards conflict, and we talked a little bit about that before the interview, but how has moving towards conflict and acknowledging your anger served you in your life? I know we talked a little bit, that's a work in progress. So what can you share? Well, <clears throat> I thought that it was when I first read this question, mm -hmm. when Christy sent it, I wrote down, and I don't know where I pulled that from, but it said, there is no right or wrong, only perception or lived reality. And I, and I wrote down that it's funny that you were starting with the nine, because it's my growth point. Yeah. And it could be one of my wings, but it's probably the most repressed part of myself. Um, my need to control my environment, control, it's stemmed in my childhood, obviously, like take care of myself, survive, take care of my own needs, not lose my shit, like stay, stay calm. Um, so, and then people have pointed out that I have a sharp tongue and those are hurt, you know, these hurtful words that stay behind, like, oh, you have a, an anger problem. I've been told by, um, in other relationships or dysfunction, but I think that's a trigger for me because what I think it is is I came to life late learning about boundaries and for me it's like I just want to be heard and you're not understanding me and I guess that's a one thing mm -hmm. so um, and the other part of me is like I have a huge sense of injustice I do not like injustice and I will speak up for that mm -hmm. and so for me it's been like what do you mean if a man said this or if someone in a different position said these very same things, mm -hmm. they'd get a freaking pat on the back. Mm -hmm. And all I'm doing, and you can hear the anger rising, right? Like, mm -hmm. it does, it makes me so upset, um, like the injustices of the world. And so part of me hasn't embraced that because of the feedback from those that are closest to me around, oh, you're stubborn, oh, you're this, or you're, I'm like, no, I'm perseverant, no, I have, um, I'm passionate, I'm a lot of things, but I don't know if I'm angry, I don't feel like, 
but it did say it comes out as resentment. So yes, yeah, I have had resentment in the past, and I feel less so. But allowing it to bubble up and share it with the world, I can remember always feeling like, oh my gosh, I did that in a group setting, and then I was listening to one of your podcast members who was like, oh, it was Maggie, and coming back and going, mm -hmm. oh gosh, what did I say, and how did that sound, you know, yeah. the judgment piece afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty dang authentic, but I do not want to wear my anger on my sleeve. Let me say one thing. You showed us your Enneagram score, and you scored high as an 8 and a 1. And those are the justice seekers on the Enneagram, right? And then you told us earlier that in your family system, conflict was avoided. And so you have, your early childhood was all about, don't be angry, don't have conflict, don't be assertive. And then you were born and probably nurtured, both born and nurtured as a, as a person who did want to seek justice and who did feel more passionate. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, these are, Renee Brown identifies as a one. We think Gandhi and Eleanor Roosevelt were one. So these oh, are people who changed the world. That's awesome. Well, it's not that's a bad nice. thing. Because I, I was listening to it and somebody that, um, I'm just very politically aware and I was like, oh my gosh, so-and-so must be a one. That's a terrible thing. But maybe it's not true. I don't know. I don't know. So I love the ones in my life. Yeah. Okay. I love them. I love them. Some of the closest friends I have are ones. So yeah. I, I love the change maker in you, the reformer, as we often call the ones. So. Okay. Well, thank you. And it's yeah. in a, and that's why I chose a stone's ripple. I'm like back to my very first yeah. counselor who was like, you may not be able to change the world, but you don't have to because that's exhausting for you. Turn off the news. One little pebble yeah. ripples out and affects someone else. And so that's why I love working with women too because I was like, if I can help a woman believe in herself and speak up for herself during labor, yeah. then maybe she can speak up for herself in her marriage and her parenting and go against the school system and whatever she needs to do. Yeah to protect her children yeah. so that they can grow up empowered and that they can raise empowered people. Yeah. So that is, that is the, ripple. the stones ripple. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. great. Your that's, website does connect to your personality. Oh, I love it. It is so meaningful. That's the reason I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of ones, let's jump into ones since we started with nines mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep up with the odds. So inside ones, need to treat themselves with more kindness and more grace and more acceptance and ones tend to have very critical mind and it could become a gift but it also can become sort of and not such a great thing mm -hmm. because um it could be fueled by anger so the criticism grows into a resentment um and just pushes ones more to the shadow side of anger so noticing anger or resentment will help ones avoid the tendency to be constantly good which leads to distance from feelings with mindful awareness and practice one can become less angry by accepting the imperfections of themselves in the world so our virtue and not that i'm speaking for all the ones in the world but the virtue the high emotional state for the one is the serenity mm -hmm. we are constantly seeking it we are um we, we thrive with it so um you know it's 
it's very well described by serenity prayer which i find very difficult but i'm going to read it not mm -hmm. difficult to read but difficult to abide by mm -hmm. god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference a wisdom to know the difference. oh that mm. wisdom to know the difference mm. oh so how does serenity and acceptance um bring more equanimity in your life how how do, how do you decipher the difference between acceptance and change how does that land with you i think um and i hope this is going to connect in a way that's meaningful but it it's it's what resonates with me but it's like um i've continued to work on myself yeah. so counselors have said you can't change other people yeah. You can't. So anger, resentment would come from in a relationship you're not having your needs met. Well, guess who's responsible for having my needs met? Me. Guess who's mm. responsible for setting boundaries around what I will or won't do? Me. Mm. Guess who's responsible for asking for freaking help because I'm not superwoman? Yeah. Me. Guess who's responsible for knowing what it is I need in the first place? Me. How can I do that unless I slow down and listen? So slowing down long enough to listen so I'm not over-functioning and stomping around the house angry and resentful because nobody's reading my mind has been a big learning thing. But then, not asking too much of myself. Like, I'm someone in a classroom, I always told children, the first thing is safety. Like, if you are not feeling like it's okay to make a mistake in here because 10 people are going to jump on you about why your answer was wrong, like good and bad, right and wrong, those words are, they just, I am trying to erase them out of my vocabulary mm -hmm. because there is no such thing. Like there's just perception, there's, um, and children, all of us need to feel safe enough to take a risk so we don't feel um, shamed. So I would say shame is more than, um, more than anger and resentment, but the younger me would stomp around, you know? And I'm sure it wasn't much fun to be around. Um, someone who didn't really know what they needed in the first place, but you're supposed to read their mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, can, accepting my mistakes, and then in a later therapy as I was working through my issues yet again, because we do it till we die. It's working yeah. for us. Yeah, we yeah. do it till we die. I remember, maybe this is sarcastic, but it's working for me to try to remember when people point out my mistakes, it's a trigger for me, because it's like, I don't judge you. I'm working really hard on that, and if I... I'm trying to make it safe for you to make mistakes. Please don't point out, like people were always like, don't be so defensive, don't take it so personally. And I'm still trying to explore what that means, but it's like the response could be, thank you for pointing that out. You know how hard I work at becoming a better person. I'll, keep, I'll take that into consideration. So it's half sarcastic, but it's half the truth. It's like, you keep telling me to stop being so hard on myself, all these people that mm -hmm. love me, mm -hmm. and yet you're the first ones to point out my, mis my shortcomings mm -hmm. from your perspective. Mm -hmm. And so how am I supposed to deal with that when on the one hand, don't take it personally, don't be so hard on yourself, and on the other hand, well, you know, you could have done it this way or that could be better. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. learning to say, in, an, in a learning to find a way to say 
I have to be safe to make mistakes if you're going to expect me to be okay with making mistakes. Mm -hmm. Stop micromanaging me because I'm working on stopping micromanaging the rest of the world. Yeah. I am trying to work on myself so that you too can become the version of yourself that you would like to be. And I'm going to be happy for you. You don't need to be something for me. I'm yeah. trying to learn to be something for me. I ones are already so hard on themselves yeah. that when they have external voices that are hard on so them, hard. it's crushing. It's crushing. It, it is. It has been crushing. Yeah. 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 You know, the, 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 oh, you got 99%. What happened to the other percent? Ha, ha, ha. And you're like, oh. simmer, simmer, simmer. And yeah. something you said, you said, you know, you know how hard I work. I don't think anybody knows how hard you work. Mm -hmm. Because it is so internal, mm -hmm. that effort that is constant and never letting go, like try and try and try and try. And so they don't know how hard they work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just see how exhausted you are. Right. Mm -hmm. They want it to be so, different. So that's why, you know, maybe the words are what they are and, and that they wound how they wound because you are working the hardest never ending effort and that's right. criticism is the hardest for the ones nobody really loves it mm -hmm. but for the ones it's it's triggering mm -hmm. it's very triggering mm -hmm. and receiving is the I hardest thing mm -hmm. letting someone it. come help you yeah. letting someone coddle you the yeah. way you want to you know, yeah. give to others. Receiving yeah. it is like, woo! Yeah. Not yeah. so sure about this. Yeah. 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 Well, you are a one, and you also have a strong two wing. And you said earlier that, and maybe I misunderstood, but it sounded like earlier on you were working more on the anger, but now you're working more on the shame. And the two, that's an emotion that they feel strongly is shame, that feeling that I'm not enough. Now, ones do too, especially when they feel like they're not perfect. There's an I not enough, I'm not enough, but their go-to emotion is often anger, and two's go-to emotion is often shame. And so we're going to look at our two right now. So the two's pride says, I have value in the eyes of others, and this need for approval can lead to a feeling of inner emptiness. When twos turn inside themselves, they might feel profound sadness or shame. At first, being inside themselves means feeling disconnected from others, which of course is really hard for a two, for a two to start to move towards their four and retreat and find that introspection and that can lead to a two feeling like, ooh, I don't want that and going back to the relationships with others. But if they stick with the introspection and staying grounded in their body, um, that moves the two to what Martin Buber, the theologian, called the I and the thou. Um, and at first, the two emphasizes the thou. So it's all about the other, right? The thou. But when they find the I, they find that balance between the I and the thou, which is what Martin Buber was advocating for. And that balance leads to equanimity. And I always think, you know, equanimity is about mental composure and just, you know, it's this person who is just, you know, a Zen-like Buddhist, you know, like a little Zen Buddha. But um, you have to find the balance before you find that mental composure. And it's different for each number what balance looks like, but then that's where you find the, you know, the, where you can really own <laughs> and, you know, in a 
in a yoga class because that's where the equanimity is. So the balance comes and then the mental composure is there. Um, but that's hard. It's, I, you know, I, I'm still working on it as a two, finding that balance between the I and the thou. And then the traditional virtue of the two is humility. And twos often find this humility when they let go of the pride of being good and find the balance between giving and receiving. Again, the I and the thou. So for you in your own life to find the balance between your own needs and the needs of others, what does that look like? Okay, well, balance is the other mantra that mm -hmm. I have prayed for, mm -hmm. longed for all my life. Mm -hmm. So that really resonated. So for me, it's learning to say no. It's that yeah. simple. It's that simple. It's learning to say no. It's learning to set boundaries. It's learning that I may or may not be loved, appreciated, whatever. I, am, I do not have to meet somebody else's need by saying yes when I really mean no. And um, I don't have to wear myself into the ground. Um, and that fear of, oh, well, I won't be asked to do this again, or I won't be, you know, that won't happen, or I won't be able to, you know, all the, the fear behind the saying no, or displeasing mm -hmm. somebody, or, or having a door closed. Mm -hmm. Well, when one, one, one closes, yeah. the other's going to open, right? And yeah. maybe the door that opens is the one that actually finds mental well-being. Yeah. So mm -hmm. for me... Um, it's my restorative yoga, saying no, respecting my own boundaries, taking time to be quiet enough to know what it is I need, um, and finding some routine. I love that. Thank you. I like it. All right, let's move on to threes. So I know you both are married to threes, lots of <laughs> psychoanalyzed spouses here, but threes <laughs> often share um, their pressure to earn their values. Mm -hmm. So they don't feel worthy of being loved just for being who they are. The, the, the value is derived by what they achieve and not just achieve, but um, how they succeed. So not just doing, but succeeding in what they're doing. So the emotional work for threes is to make the inward turn to finding a value in being and stepping back from doing and performing uh, to tune in what's happening on the inside. So that's their work. And it can be, you know, sad, it could feel shameful, it could feel very uncomfortable for them. But being honest about how you feel and who you are truly is what creates the opportunity to know yourself and to love yourself. And instead of being loved, and that would translate into being loved by who you, because of who you are, not what you do and what you, what you so to call bring to the table, what, what you have achieved. So um, it's said by the Enneagram that the virtue or the higher emotional capacity of type three is veracity or truthfulness. So we just take the episode on authenticity. So for the three to drop the constant need of proving themselves and achieving and creating a certain image and getting in touch with themselves and their feelings and their true authentic self is what brings them to their highest potential. So Brenda, question to you. Can you relate to a sort of a sense of trying to prove yourself externally and earn, <laughs> earn whatever love and care and attention and whatever else beautiful things from others 
I know that I can. And then what does it look like for you in your life to find your authenticity instead of trying to earn and perform and create an image mm -hmm. in the world? Heck yeah, I can relate. Yeah. And I can also relate, and I see it more in myself because I'm helping my husband recognize he's a human being, not a human doing. Right. And he is, um, I've always seen him for who he is, mm -hmm. and he's always seen himself for what he does. Yeah. Always. Mm -hmm. And he's just like this amazing healer, and um, he's a nurse practitioner, and oh, he wow. just gives of himself so much. Um, and he's always measuring his worth on those achievements, right? And I look at that and I think, you're so much more than that. So it's mm. been really fun for me to help him actually shine a light on his true worth and, in, and also recognize that I suffer from the same thing. So backing off, not having to be in the spotlight, letting go of opportunities, releasing my career as a teacher in the classroom, re-identifying as a yoga professional. I remember the first time you said that, Kat, in 300 mm. Hour, you're like, I'm a professional. And I was like, heck yeah, Kat, I'm going to embrace that too now. I'm ready. <laughs> Love it. I'm a professional. This is what I do to help and serve. Mm. And it's enough. Yeah. I don't have to measure myself by what I have on my wall or how many years I spent in school or, you know, any of that. I don't mm -hmm. have to get the top grades or announce it to the world. I don't have to be in a position of great prestige. Yeah. I can embrace my niche of working with the people I choose to work with. I can say no to doing too much. It is enough. I'm doing enough. I'm helping enough people. Um, it's less than I used to be able to do. I've had to adjust to some health conditions. Um, and that's been a learning experience for me. So, um, yeah, quieting that imposter voice inside mm. me. Um, learning to receive, learning to embrace that restorative yoga is my medicine and heated vinyasa is not. Heated vinyasa is more of who I am. Do I love it? Yes. Does it serve my body? Not usually. Mm -hmm. Is it a good time? Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I do it once in a while? For sure. Mm -hmm. It serves your personality but not your essence. And those Ooh. are two different things. Well, Ooh, good that. point, Kat. Mm. It boosts the part of my personality that's mm. in conflict. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to dose myself with more of that? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's fun sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to this brief meditation. And you may be joining this meditation with us while you're on a walk or while you're driving in your car and that's fine but if you're at home and you have an opportunity to get grounded why not find a seat on the earth or in a chair and just get comfortable and then maybe invite your palms to touch your thighs maybe have palms to your stomach another possibility is prayer hands to your heart or even prayer hands to your forehead at the third eye but wherever you are try to find the breath breathing in breathing out finding that 
life-giving force of the breath throughout this meditation and just setting an intention right now to stay connected to the breath and during this meditation it will be a guided meditation and I'll be asking you to consider some questions for each of the nine members about equanimity and so let's start with the two and for the two they're going to find equanimity when there is a balance between giving and receiving and so just asking yourself the question what does it feel like and what does it look like in my own life when there is balance between my own needs and the needs of others and then for the three they find that sweet spot they find equanimity and mental composure when there is a balance between doing and being and so just asking yourself the question in your own life what does it look like and what does it feel like when there is a balance between doing and being and then for the four they find more fullness of life more equanimity when there is balance between pain and joy so when the four is able to fill the full array of their human emotions and what does it look like in your own life and what does it feel like in your own life when you are able to experience both pain and joy and now that we've rounded out each number in the heart triad let's take a deep breath in and a big breath out and if you've left the intentional breath see if you can come back to that and for the five they find more equanimity when they are connecting internally and connecting externally and so in your own life what does it feel like and what does it look like when there is a balance between your internal and your external needs and then for the six they find equanimity when there is a balance between planning and courage so when they're still exercising caution and yet when they're also expressing hope and faith and courage we need both and so what does it look like and what does it feel like in your own life when you are able to have both caution and courage and then for the seven they experience more equanimity when they have both adventure and groundedness and in your own life how do you find that sweet spot and what does it look like what does it feel like when you have both playfulness and adventure but also when you get grounded and have two feet to the earth and are able to be in the present moment and so now we've rounded out our thinking triad so let's take a deep breath in and a big big breath out and let's move into the body triad and so for the eight they find equanimity when there is a balance between power and softening and so in your own life what does it feel like and what does it look like when you find that sweet spot that balance 
between the need for power and control and the ability just to soften and find ease. And then for the nine, they find equanimity when there is a balance between harmony and conflict. And so what does it look like? What does it feel like in your own life when you're able to find harmony with others, but also when you're able to raise your voice and speak up and be comfortable with conflict? And then for the one, they find equanimity in life when there is a balance between what Brene Brown calls healthy striving and then acceptance. And so what does it feel like and what does it look like in your own life when there's a balance between striving for what you need but also accepting life as it is, your home as it is, other people as they are. And so let's find a deep breath in and a big breath out and bringing hands to our heart. Namaste.